Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 31. This week, Brian and I are talking about Daniel chapter 2. As you might recall, Daniel 2 is all about the dream of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. The king summons all the magicians, sorcerers, and astrologers together to not only interpret his dream, but to first tell him what his dream was. And if they can't do that, eh, then they're going to die. They're going to be killed. Of course, they can't even tell him what his dream was, so Daniel prays and has shown the king's dream and its interpretation, and its meaning is apocalyptic. So that's what Brian and I are talking about today, the dream, the interpretation, and how those prophecies played out in history. It's a great conversation. Just a quick reminder, before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And if you're enjoying the video version of the podcast on YouTube, please don't forget to subscribe there as well. All right, let's jump into this episode looking at Daniel chapter 2. Well, Brian, welcome back to hey. the Bistro. How are you, Ryan? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I always say I'm delicious, and I feel like I'm saying it too much. <laughs> yeah. You need to think of something different to say. I do need to think of something besides delicious to say. So, yeah. Yeah, so how are you? I'm doing well. It's good to be here together in the Bistro. So. Yeah, what have you been up to? It's been a couple days since it we've been back been. in the Bistro. It has been. a few. I've been, you know, just working and doing church stuff and doing uh, some other stuff that we're doing business-wise and just trying to... Trying to keep on the hustle. You're a real Renaissance man. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know no. Renaissance no, 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 man, no. and you're you're a Renaissance <laughs> man. So yes, well, good. Well, I'm glad we're back. What have you been up to? You know, working, uh, reading, taking care okay. of the kids. We've been working on our house a little bit, okay. trying to get it. We, yeah, you got a new patio. That's we nice. Got a new patio, very well, nice. It, well, we're pleased with it so far. I mean, it's concrete, right? And it holds us up, so right. that's good. And I'm it, here in in your home in the in the Indianapolis area. Should I not say this is your home? Is that okay? Yes. Don't track me. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna see all the opulence that I live in here in Greenwood, right. Indiana, just south of Indianapolis. Good coffee. Though, good coffee. So. Now this is a Folgers derivative, like eighteen fifty or something. Pretty good. It's, it's not bad. Good. It's uh, the problem is is I drink too much expensive coffee, um, and then at some point it's Lauren, my wife, right. says Ryan. Too much on the coffee budget. Hey, look at yeah, look at the budget. <laughs> look how much money you spent on because I make it at home. But even right. if you make it at home, it can it, get expensive. It can get expensive. So yeah, I've got right. I've got the the Folgers derivative here. So, yeah, but I'm caffeinating for the bistro here for yeah. all that you're going to bring to us today. <laughs> we'll see. So, what do you want to talk about today? I think we should talk about the Old Testament. Yeah, we've been talking about the New Testament a lot. So Ugh. let's do some. <laughs> so much New Testament. I'm so well. You know, and this one will connect to the New Testament, though. Let's talk about the book of Daniel is what I thought we'd talk about today. All right. So I thought we'd kind of do an introduction to the book of Daniel, maybe. And I'm going to tell you kind of what I use as kind of the interpretive center of Daniel. And it will connect to stuff we talked about with the book of Revelation. Because we've had, had people interested in the book of Revelation. Yep. And we've talked before about how there's apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament. And Daniel's a, a perfect example. So yeah, there's there's quite a bit in Daniel that's apocalyptic and Revelation. Like there's right. a lot that's tying these similar yeah. tying things together. Yeah, and I, th- I thought also the stuff we've talked about with the intertestamental history that'll help with that too. That period between the closing of the Old Testament and the New yeah. Testament. So, and we, yeah, in our episode we had a lot of interest. People are yeah. like, how do I find out more, more about, about that? Yes. Yeah, and and you know, there's not a whole lot that's real great about that. But yeah, anyway, so the book of Daniel, um, 
the interesting thing with the book of Daniel is it really kind of divides into two parts. And a lot of people spend a ton of time on the first part, which is what I would call a narrative about Daniel's life. And you might remember that it begins with, uh, Dan, you know, the Babylon, Babylonians coming in and Daniel going into exile. Right. You might remember that part. Yep. And then um, Nebuchadnezzar, um, you know, Daniel, and his friends won't eat the things that the king has before them and this kind right. of thing. So we have these stories of Daniel's life that go up through uh, about chapter six or so. And then chapter seven through 12 are a series, what I would call a series of visions. And that's where it gets into the real apocalyptic where Paul had, or Paul. Oh my gosh, the, the, the Daniel. And we're in the New, New Testament again, where <laughs> Daniel has uh, these visions, has these dreams, and then that's where the apocalyptic comes in. And a lot of people interpret those in a lot of different ways, but but it, it's interesting because I want to look at chapter two today, Daniel chapter two. Okay. And, and even though it's a part of the narrative part of the story, I think what it does is it helps give us an understanding of really what those visions in 7 through 12 are about. That's the way I read this. Okay. Uh, you might remember you remember what chapter two is about. It's the statue that's the different parts of it are made of different materials. Right. That Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Yes. And, and, oh yes, sorry. And he, yeah, that's fine. No, no, and no. He, and he says, Hey, come and interpret this. And if you can't you can't if you can't just tell me what the dream is, you have to tell me what the dream is and then interpret it. Right. He doesn't tell anybody what the dream is, but mm-hmm. says can and and all of his advisors say nobody can do this. So he gets angry, he's gonna he's gonna Basically, slaughter them all. <laughs> He's going to execute everybody. I don't like you. <laughs> Which is, I guess that's what you can do when you're the king. But <laughs> but he, uh, uh, what ends up happening then is Daniel hears about this, and he's basically, well, give me a chance to do this. And so he prays, and he is given the dream and the interpretation, and he goes to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's kind of where I want to pick up. So it's about um, in, in verse uh, 26 or so, we can pick up there. I'll read a little bit of this and then maybe let you read some a little bit later. Okay. It says, uh, this is uh, Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 26. The king, I'm reading NIV here. King asked Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I've often thought if I would ever write a book on the book of Daniel, which I probably never will, but if I, <laughs> if I would, I would call it there is a God in heaven. Uh, I like that that image because that's what Daniel points to. He's like, I can't do this, but but God can. And right. that's, that's kind of what he points toward. I really like that idea. So there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And so then he tells him this, and you, you mentioned it's a story of this statue that has a gold head and like a chest of, of, of silver and then legs and thighs of bronze and then, and then um, feet. Uh, made out of iron and clay is kind of the image that we get of this. So these different materials. And um, so then, uh, well, you go ahead and read that. I, I, I said that. We should read that. Go ahead and read verses 31 through 35. <laughs> 31 through 35? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its leg of legs of iron... Its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, so we have the statue and then we have this rock. And those mm-hmm. are those are kind of the ideas. 
And I'll go ahead and tell you, we'll read the interpretation here in a minute, and we'll kind of walk through it a little bit at a time. But really what's going on here is that statue represents kingdoms mm-hmm. that are going to arise in the earth, is what those those all stand for. And then we have this rock, and, and it's very interesting. It says this rock is not cut with human hands, right? Yeah. I wonder what that looked like. You know, like <laughs> I see a rock, but it's not human hands. Well, well, what did you see? Right, right. Well, and what, what would you say, like, if it's not human hands, then then who do we think about? Well, I, I think it's God. God, but I'm just right. saying, like, is that like talons or? Right. What is <laughs> I've been watching Jurassic Park. I'm teasing. Okay, okay. It's a whole joke. Anyway, I understand. It's angel. <laughs> so it's it's coming from God is where this comes. And and here's a point. It smashes all that to, to pieces. So here's the interpretation of the dream. And let's kind of just walk through this a little bit uh, a little bit at a time. So verse 36, Daniel says, this is chapter 2 again, Daniel chapter 2, verse 36, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he's placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he's made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. So he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar and the and the Babylonian empire here. Is the head of gold? And that's, big stuff right now. That's the first kingdom, right? They, they've, you know, they, they've not only taken over uh, Israel and taken them into exile, but they, they really control the whole known world at this point. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what the empire comes from. But then he says this in verse thirty nine: After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours, and that's what that that chest of and arms of silver is about. So it's another kingdom that's going to arise. And it's going to be inferior to yours. Now, the interesting thing is we can see this happen even in the book of Daniel. Uh, you might remember in uh, chapter 5, at the very end of chapter 5, verses 30 through 31, well, chapter the whole chapter 5 is about uh, a feast that this successor of Nebuchadnezzar, whose name is Belshazzar, is having. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> You know, one of the things he does is he takes some of the temp- temple articles, the things that were taken out of the temple when Israel was sacked, when Jerusalem yes. was sacked, mm-hmm. and he's having this feast with it, and there's a hand that appears on the wall. And we use this phrase all the time, we see the writing, <laughs> the writing on, on the wall, wall, and it writes on the wall, and Daniel's brought to interpret it, and basically it says, you've been you've been measured, you've been found wanting, uh, and, and now judgment's coming. And that very night, it says, so go ahead and read verses 30 through 31 of chapter 5. I saw you turn in there. Yeah. Uh, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So this the second kingdom is the one we usually call the Medo-Persian Empire, because the Persians had kind of more or less defeated the Medes, mm-hmm. uh, but you might notice the, the Mede king is mentioned there, Yes, and um, king of the Medes, and but he's 62, right? He's an old, so, he's an old man at this time. So we have this, this Persian Empire that comes in, essentially, and takes over from the Babylonians. And the interesting thing it does it that night. Now, this is just kind of a sideline I'll mention to you. It's it just... What two verses there basically says that night, that very night, Belshazzar died, mm-hmm. and the Medes and the Persians took over the Babylonians. The 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 history Herodotus, the historian Herodotus, writes about this and how it happened. It's it's pretty fascinating reading. I'll just encourage you if you ever are interested in how that took place to read about it. Um, you know, so so the idea is the Medes and the Medo Persian army was surrounding um, Babylon at this time, but the Babylonians were so arrogant they thought there's no way that um th- there's no way that we can have um we can be defeated essentially there the, the river ran under the walls of the city and all this kind of stuff so they had plenty of food they had plenty of water 
And so they're feasting, even though there's an army surrounding them. But that very night, it's that they're overtaken. Uh, they're overtaken. So that took place um, in 538 BC, 538, 539. In that range of time is where we understand that taking place. And so, so that's that silver. Now going back then, that, that when I say chest and arms of silver, mm-hmm. going back to Daniel two. Again, it, in the end of verse 39, it says, Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Mm-hmm. And that bronze kingdom we're going to see in different ways and talk about in different ways. But I'll go ahead and tell you that's the one we usually call the Greek Empire. Um, that's the one that Alexander the Great comes. And and you see Alexander in the book of Daniel. And again, he's he's in the future from Daniel's perspective. At least that's my understanding. And I'll tell you that's... Some of the ways that that Daniel gives us very specific insight into the future from his perspective is why some people think Daniel has to be written later because they 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 can't handle the predictive prophecy. Right, now, that there's so much there that yeah. Now I understand so. there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and so so I you know I believe that Daniel was given this information. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream in order, as Daniel says, to reveal to you what is happening in days to come. So the, Alexander and, and the Greek Empire take over. And I'll tell you, every time... So I'm saying chapter 2, this kind of outline of future history from, from the Babylonian perspective, is the way I, I read the rest of those visions in chapter 7 through 12. And I'm going to give you just a couple of examples to kind of see what I'm talking about here. Okay, yeah. So Alexander is mentioned several times in these, I think. Um, and, and you can see him, for example, in... Um, in chapter 8, Daniel chapter 8, I'm going to look at a couple of different things here. Okay. Because Alexander was a king of Macedon. Uh, he became the king of Macedon about 336. His, his father was named Philip, mm-hmm. Philip of Macedon, and then, uh, and then Alexander became the king in 336, and he and his army basically started marching mm-hmm. and took over most of the known world. They defeated the the P... The, the Medes and the Persians, not not the other way around. The Medes and the Persians, about three thirty four in that period. There was there was a, uh, several different battles that took place, but in, in the three thirties BC is when the the Greeks really really took over from them. Gotcha. And then, well, I'll, I'll tell you more here in just a minute. But look at uh, chapter eight, starting in verse five or so. Okay. Um, uh, I'll I'll read part of this. It says, "As I was thinking about this, so." So this is where Daniel is having these visions. So he has this vision at night, and it mm-hmm. says, As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing over the whole earth without touching the ground. Every time you have the Greeks talked about in, in the book of Daniel, and especially Alexander, it, it's it's always speed. And that's the amazing thing, is Alex, Alexander took over the world very quickly. quickly. And, th- and that was part of his strategy is to to kind of, um, it was almost like, you know, a rolling tide, if you will, to take over these things very quickly, to take over these various nations. And, and it says, no animal could stand against him. None could rescue from its power. It did as it's pleased and it became great. Um, and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that went, that went back to four. verse four. I, yeah. I apologize. And it says in verse six, it came toward the two-horned ram. Now there was a ram this is the Medo-Persian. I'll tell you, every time in the book of Daniel, you have something that is double or or kind of raised up on one side or something like that. That's talking about the Medo-Persian Empire. Kind of, they're Medo-Persian, but they're the Persians are greater than the Medes is the idea. Gotcha. Okay. And so it says, it came toward the two-horned ram, 
Uh, I'd seen standing beside the canal and charged it at great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, shattering its two horns. Ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it. None could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. So Alexander, like I said, in the 330s or so BC, um, you know, took over from the Medo-Persians. He continued on to the Indus River. But then in 323, after he'd kind of, before he could consolidate his power, he'd done this very quickly. He'd mm-hmm. conquered these nations very quickly. But before he could consolidate his power, 323, he dies, 323 BC. Yes. And so what happens then, and, and go ahead and, and, and I'll read the rest of this. It says, it, it, so the large horn, talking about Alexander, I would say, was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four rims of heaven. What we call the period after Alexander the Great died is the period of the Diadochoi. And, and so what happens is... Say that, oh, <laughs> you need sorry. to say that again and a little bit slower. Diadochoi is what, oh, what we di- call Oh, the, the Diadochoi. Yeah, so, I can't even uh, say That's what we call it, but anyway. Who's we? Everybody. So, <laughs> is that me, apparently? Everybody, everybody who thinks about these kind of things. <laughs> well, let me just tell you what it is. So basically... <laughs> I appreciate you bringing up the word and defining it in the same episode. So Alexander did not have an heir. He did not have a clear successor to the throne. Uh, there, he, he, had he was a, pretty young. Relatively young. He had a wife who was pregnant at this time. And there are some people who threw in with this un, unborn child if it was a if male. It were male, right? So so basically the, the kingdom that Alexander had established, or let's call it the empire that Alexander had established – Ends up getting broken up into four point, uh, four parts, and that's that four horns that we're we're talking about here. Um, there's, you know, there's several different ways we can think about this, but but some of them went back to kind of Macedon, and were consolidating the power there. Others were in the area of Egypt, and this is the period. If you've ever heard about the Ptolemies, yeah, one of Alexander's generals was named Ptolemy, and so he went to Egypt and he kind of controlled. That area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another of Alexander's generals that kind of took this area we call Syria, uh, and that becomes so. So the Diadochoi they basically divide up Alexander's into kingdom into force, and they're kind of warring back and forth. But particularly for our purposes, because we're interested in this piece of land that, that we call Israel Palestine, you know that mm-hmm. that whole area, we have. The Seleucids yes. to the north mm-hmm. and the Ptolemies to the south. So back and forth, they're battling back and forth. And there's parts of the book of Daniel that talk about that. Yeah. And the Seleucids are the ones that took the temple. Yes, eventually. Eventually. Yeah, yeah. and I'll talk, talk about yeah. that in just a minute. That, that's good that you brought that up. I wasn't necessarily going to mention that, but we'll, we'll talk about that. The Seleucids, uh, so I'll give you an example. Daniel chapter 11 talks about the kings of the north and the kings of the south. And that battle back and forth, and that's basically over that over the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on now. What you say is that the Seleucids. Then there, there was a, eventually this guy whose name uh, was um, uh, um, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus the Fourth was mm-hmm. his, his official name, but he called himself Epiphanes. Talked about him before, mm-hmm. uh, and he ends up desecrating the temple. And and, and again, I think we we hear this in the Book of Daniel being, I would say, prophesied, being told ahead of time. And then you might remember when we talked about the intertestamental period, what happens after that, after Antiochus kind of desecrates the temple, tries to wipe out Judaism, Judaism. Mm-hmm. 
what ha- happens is there's this family called the the Maccabees. Mm-hmm. Who Judas write, Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus. Judas the Hammer. Judas the Hammer. Ooh, you can't forget that name. <laughs> Judas the Hammer. So what happens is he rises up and then and then mm-hmm. kind of um, uh, becomes the hero, and and then of course the the fourth kingdom. So that's the third third kingdom that we're talking about. Who is the the um, um, Ptolemy- Greek, well, the Greeks, including mm-hmm. that that period of time of the divided mm-hmm. kingdom, I would say. Then we have this this fourth kingdom, and, and this is what's talked about back in chapter two again. I know I keep skipping back. And forth, I know that's right, but it's in verse forty. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and toes of the statue were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so they will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay." And so, go ahead. I think I know who this is. Who do you think it is? I think it's the Romans. Romans. And, and so this is the issue. So we have the Greeks. We have this divided period of time, the Diadochoi. They're fighting back and forth. And, and you know, the, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies are fighting over Israel. But eventually, here comes this other kingdom. Now, as fast as Alexander went and, and took over things quickly but didn't consolidate it, Rome had a different tactic. And basically, I would say they ground things out very, very Slow. carefully. Mm-hmm. But when they controlled it, they controlled it. And that's that kind of image of iron. And any time in the book of Daniel you get these images of iron, I think it's talking about the Roman Empire. And I'll give you some more examples, perhaps, if we have time here in just a minute. But but that's the Roman Empire, I think. And, and, and so here's the interesting thing, then. Uh, and I want you to help me think about this. And this starting in verse 44 then. So it talks about this fourth kingdom. And you say you think it's the Romans. Go ahead. You, why don't you read um, 44 and 45 then? Okay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Go ahead and finish that up. Oh, uh, yep. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. So in the time of those kings, so you got the Roman Empire, it says in the time of those kings. Now, we usually call those kings of the Romans, what do we usually call them? Emperors. Yeah, or Caesars. We, we call them a lot of times, right? The Caesars, like Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus, and they know, weren't all emperors. Yeah, all those, all those guys, right? Sorry. Well, I mean, they, emperor works because they they're over several kingdoms. Mm-hmm. But in the time of those kings, God is going to set up a, a, a the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and that's mm-hmm. what He says. That rock that comes, it's going to bust it all up and, and break up all the kingdoms of this world. And, and do you remember what the image is? And I love this image. It, it says that. So all those heavy metals and all that stuff. Do you remember the, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, mm-hmm. it says it was like what? Do you, do you remember now? It was like chaff on the threshing floor. Yes, yes, yes. Let me go ahead and explain that because that's not an image we necessarily are familiar with all the time these days. 
but when you in 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 those period of time you didn't have a combine harvester right mm-hmm. uh, you didn't go out and get your wheat that way you would cut it and you would put it into sheaves you would tie it up and let it dry that way and then when it was dry you would take it to the threshing floor mm-hmm. and you would literally beat it with rods to separate the 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 valuable kernels of wheat from the rest of the um, chaff mm-hmm. I mean, is what we call it and then you take what's called a threshing fork mm-hmm. and you'd throw that up in the air on a windy day a flat rock is is what you want a place where you can throw that up in the air and as you do that the wind will take the lighter chaff uh, upwind mm-hmm. and the heavier wheat falls to the ground so eventually you've got a pile of chaff that blows away and you and, got good wheat and you got good wheat and so that's the image he says this rock comes and smashes all the kingdoms of this world and then the pieces of it are just like chaff right you've taken all these precious metals and they're just like they're just blown away. blown away all these kingdoms so the greatest kingdoms you can imagine in history um you know the babylonians the medo persians the greeks the romans he says that they're going to be like like Nothing. chaff but that rock what does it say happened in that rock uh, i don't know it but no, I should. I, I guess I should have um, back back in twenty. It's verse thirty five. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces. Became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. See but, that image? But, oh, but the rock struck the statue, became a huge mountain, and filled the whole earth. So this rock begins to grow, mm-hmm. and so here's what Daniel says back in back when he's when he's given this interpretation. Okay, back I think in the sixth century BC. He's saying in the time of the kings of the Romans, God is going to set up an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. And, and in fact, is going to be one like a mountain that fills the whole earth. Mm-hmm. So the cool thing about that is I think that's talking about the kingdom of God. Absolutely. And, and, and the, the cool thing about that is I think it, it for me, you know, you know, I try to be pretty optimistic about things, even though, you know, right now we look at the news in the world and we see all kinds of difficulty. There's division, there's war. Yes. Um, you know, things going on in, in the Middle East, all these kind of things going on. But but I remember this promise that God gave that this is a, an eternal kingdom. The kingdom of God is one that will never pass away. Romans are gone. Greeks are gone. You know, all of those have been like chaff on the threshing floor. But God is establishing an eternal kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can find hope in that, and I think we can find optimism in that, uh, that that points us toward what God is doing, that he's filling the whole world with his glory and with mm-hmm. people who are reflecting his glory. Yeah. So so that's, that's kind of, I, I wanted to read that. I think that there's a way to understand this. Now, uh, if you want, we could look at a couple of other passages, but do you have any questions right now or anything you want to ask about at this at this time or uh i i don't think so i mean this really ties in well to the revelation what we've yeah what we've talked about in revelation you know right. that 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 there's this that the, the kingdom of god being juxtaposed against sure. the earthly kingdoms, kingdoms of, this, of this world right? yeah yeah right so no i think i think this is great to to think through that i hadn't you know i i, I knew something about the statue uh-huh. you know and right. what it meant but i didn't know the exact um, or what was scholarly thought about, like, this this kingdom is this kingdom right. is this kingdom is this kingdom. Well, and I'll say not everybody thinks <laughs> this way. Right. But I, I think that, that chapter 2 is really the way to understand the rest of these. Now, l- let me see how this relates to the book of Revelation. Let me give you a couple of ways that this – so this is the introduction to Daniel. Um, but there's also a way this helps us understand other apocalyptic literature because John in Revelation picks up on some of these images. So what we have really are these four kingdoms, this history. So the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. 
And I've said before, when in our introduction to Revelation, in apocalyptic literature, oftentimes we have the same story told over. People want to see it chronologically, but we have the same story told over from different points of view. Mm-hmm. And so in, in chapter 7 through 12 of Daniel, even though we have these different visions, I think all of them are, are pointing toward the same reality, that that there's these kingdoms that are going to arise throughout the world, but there's going to come a time when God's going to set up this eternal kingdom. I'll just mention this as well. You might... Remember, I always say apocalyptic arises during in, t- in times of conflict when it seems like things are not going well for God's people. So remember, they're in Babylonian exile right now. Right. But this message is it's not always going to be this way. Right. That God is going to establish for his people this this eternal kingdom that will never be destroyed. That it it, it is an, literally an everlasting mm-hmm. and eternal kingdom. And while they're while they're suffering now, the while they're suffering is... now and they're not in control, they're being oppressed. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it doesn't seem like things are going well. The promise is God is still at work. God is still on His throne. God, you know, there is a God in heaven, and and what what's going to happen here as a result of this is that God's going to establish this eternal kingdom that will be greater than all of these other empires. Even though there's going to be greater kingdoms that arise down the road from Babylon, there's going to be an even greater one in the kingdom of God. Um, and man, that image of the of the mountain filling the whole earth, I just I love that because it's it's an idea that. Every corner of the earth is going to be filled with people who are worshiping God and and uh, who are giving allegiance to Him and not to the kingdoms of this world. Yeah. So the, the the interesting thing with Revelation then is he's writing, of course, and and the primary oppressor there is Rome, right? And if we read this Iron Beast, <laughs> you know these these Iron yes. references, this Iron Kingdom in uh, in the Book of Daniel as Rome. John is writing kind of from that perspective then after these things have been fulfilled and now we're down to this final kingdom and the the kingdom of God has already begun to be established. And so that's what we have in the book of Revelation is kind of this back and forth. I shouldn't even say back and forth, but but the oppression of the of the Romans, but the fact that God's kingdom will continue. Will, it will be greater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no matter what happens, even though there's martyrs, even though we might die for the for the sake of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That his kingdom will will continue, um, and, and, and it's a good message. I think you know. I've been thinking about it. Um, I'll just tell you on my heart right now. Afghanistan, as we're recording this, mm-hmm. um, you know the stuff that's happening there right now. Uh, we have the church and, and Christians there, and, and even some missionaries I know that have had to evacuate and and have left behind people who are believers. There's a real concern about what may happen under the rule of the Taliban, mm-hmm. uh, even though I know that, that there's been a promise that um, that that there's they're not going to be harsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a real concern about Christians there that that they might die for their faith, and, and the promise is this that even you know and this is when when you read Revelation this way sometimes say well the persecution isn't that bad, and you're like well it depends on where you live right uh, for us it may not be but there are parts of the world where this is a very real message today that God's kingdom is, is eternal and even those who've who've been killed. I keep thinking about that image of the slain saints under the altar we've talked Crying about out, before. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, faithful and true? And he says they were given white robes and said, "A little while longer until the full number of your your brothers and sisters who'll be killed because of their testimony are, are here." And the idea is they're they're safe. You're protected. You're you're with the Lord, and your your robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so even though uh, the kingdoms of this world. 
uh, continue to to attempt to oppress God's people, His kingdom will continue. That that's I think the message. Yeah. And I th- and I think that's a hard message. It is. It's a hard message. I th- it, you know I'm is. thinking about myself of kind of going, you know, and I think even. Um, for the Jews and some of this stuff, like the God that had gone before them and, you know, right. wiping people out. And it was their disobedience that led yeah. to some of this, but kind of going, now you have God giving vision saying, there's, it, it's not going to just end. Always and, be this way. It's, it's not always going to be this way in that I will establish a kingdom, but that does not mean that your time on earth right. is going to be peaceful easy, or peaceful right. or easy. And yeah. so, um, you know, and I think, you know, as we talk about revelation, it's, Staying faithful. That's so much mm-hmm. of revelation and the message to the church is to stay faithful even right. in the midst of, you know, some of the places it's more like a cultural pushing you or it's financial. Yeah. Some places it's persecution. Like stay faithful. It's yeah. not always going to be easy, but I am faithful to my promise. Some so, of you may even be in prison, you know, yeah. so what we see in, in, in Revelation, you know, and 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 yeah, remain faithful to God and He's He's able to care for us. And uh, yeah, I think that's just a hard pill to swallow yeah. sometimes when we we want we want to think I don't know. I'm not saying you know. There are some branches of prosperity or whatever. Like God, God wants to give me these things, or my life's going to be easy right. because. And then that's just that's not, not the, the message. It's not right. the message at all. Look at chapter seven of Daniel. I, I just want to show you one vision and kind of show you how I think this helps us uh, or can help us as we understand um, these various things. Um, so, in verse one, it says, "In the in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of this dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. So, we're going to see how this helps us if we interpret, um, you know, the whole book of Daniel. These visions." from this dream, how this kind of helps us. So it says, the first of these beasts, verse four, was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. So that first beast, who would, who would we understand that to be then? If we if we understand it from chapter two in this in this way, uh, well, that would be the who we're just talking Babylonians. 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 Yes, yes. So you know you might remember, and, and some people see this with Nebuchadnezzar. There's that period of time where he's made to be like a beast of the field, and, yes, and however wild. we understand that, mm-hmm. right? And then he becomes a man, and so. So there's that one. And then the second beast, I, I mentioned the Medo-Persian, Persian. it's mm-hmm. lifted up on one side, so it's an uneven, you know, it's an uneven kind of kingdom. And then verse 6, and I looked before me, and there was a there was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. So the four kingdoms, the... Well, I don't, I, I oh. think, so I told you, we'll, we'll get to the four kingdoms here in a minute, the, the Diadokoi, mm. but... <laughs> That's the word. I wasn't going to say it. Come on, you got to learn to. Uh, you're learning a little Greek, so diadokoi, dia diadokoi. Well dia done, diadokoi. So it's gold star. <laughs> so the I, I mentioned that Alexander's always talked about with speed. Mm-hmm. So leopard with four wings on its back. <laughs> it's it's hauling. That's pretty fast. I mean, leopard leopard is known. I mean, that's that'd be one of the characteristics of a leopard when you say is it speed, and yes. then and then you have a leader, a, a leader, a leopard with 
I was going to say a cheetah, but a leopard with wings on its back. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's that's talking about that. But then it says this. This is where you're going. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. So this is a beast that you know is, is rapid, but then it's given these four heads, mm-hmm. which is the Seleucids I and Ptolemy so. and so yeah. forth. And then it says, um, after this in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful, had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Horns typically stand for rulers, like we saw uh, later when you have Alexander with that one horn from mm-hmm. the ram, and so, or from the, the goat, I should say. And, and so... It had ten horns, and while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. Hair of his head was white like wool. Throne was like flaming fire. And I'll go ahead and tell you, this vision that he has of this of this one who comes to the Ancient of Days and is given this book it is almost directly from what we have in in Book of Revelation in chapter 1, where we have Jesus mm-hmm. uh, being depicted. And then, of course, you know that whole thing with the books being given to him, and he's the, the one scrolls. who's worthy yeah. of opening. So this fourth beast, again, is the, is the Roman Empire, the Iron and then it's during that period of time that we have the Ancient of Days giving to this one the authority and, and dominion, giving to Jesus, you know, I think. Um, verse 13, in my vision at night, this is a famous passage from Daniel seven thirteen. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, was led into his presence, and was given authority, glory, and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So it's the same thing as that rock, mm-hmm. right? It's it's that image of Jesus coming and establishing an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. So I, I think you can read all of the visions in Daniel from this historical perspective um, and again, that helps us, I think, understand how apocalyptic works. There's a prophetic element to it, but it's normally uh, relatively early, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, after the period of writing, and um, and and that's what I think is going on in Revelation as well. I think John's picking up on some of these images of these beasts, but but for him, the culmination is in it is in uh, Rome, where Rome is now, and the oppressing of God's people. So. And, and that's where Christ comes. I think the, so. The minute, that's where the stone yeah. comes. Yep. Very so. good. Very interesting. So just as an example of how I think we can we can see that. So. Yeah. I, I, li- I like the connection of the, um, you, you know, if you read that and you don't know the the, the empires, you know, you, right. you get the impression like yes. God is crushing that. But to, to tie it all together, and I like the leopard and the... Yeah. And and the wings uh, and so forth. So you know, and I think you always know, like to say like, so what? You know, I yeah. think I think the so what for us is at least I don't know. I'm going to yeah. say this is like that. Yeah. No kingdom can stand yep. against God's kingdom. Yeah, and and yes, absolutely. We we put our hope so many times in you know hope for peace, uh, hope for prosperity, hope mm-hmm. hope for any of these things in the wrong place. Uh, I'm getting ready to preach a series on 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 Psalms on the Psalms of Ascent or the the 
um, you know, the Psalms from 120 to 135 that they would sing as they went up to the to the temple. The pilgrims would would sing and say, and I've been working on that. And I was thinking about that uh, Psalm 20. I don't know if you remember that that verse there, but it says. Um, uh, some place their trust in in chariots and some in horses, but I place my trust in the Lord. You know, and that mm-hmm. that image I, I kind of misquoted it there. I should look it up, I guess. But <laughs> but that that image that that we don't trust in military power, we don't trust in political power. Mm-hmm. We trust in in the Lord God, who is ultimately sovereign. Um, and, and that's we put our trust in that in the kingdom of God, not in any of the earthly kingdoms. And there's various ways, you know. Again, we don't necessarily live in a place where martyrdom is is active, but there are there are forces at work uh, economically that that concern us sometimes mm-hmm. and can take us captive, if you will. It, it, every people has their own concerns that we have to be careful we're not placing our trust in our own ability to take care of ourselves, for example, or uh, looking to some other people to take care of ourselves, but we're trusting in God. So I think you're absolutely right. That is that is the message, is that God is ultimately the one um, who, who who is sovereign and, and who we can place our trust in. Yeah. yeah. And I just like seeing that the, the message of revelation is also in danger. You know what I mean? Just yeah, that, that, the connection. The, the, connect, the connection mm-hmm. there and that... The, the the message is you know it's kind of fleshed out more in Revelation, mm, yeah. but that like the, the the message has been the same. Yeah, that's true. You yeah, know, the consistency the, of scripture. The consistency yeah. of scripture in that um, there is again it's the, the rock yeah. crushing and and coming in the the parts of the books being opened and, yeah. and so forth in Revelation. I, I've talked before about different reasons that I believe, but but that's one of the reasons that I I, I am a believer is the is is. The idea, and I've talked before, 40 different authors over a period of hundreds of years, thousands of years that these books are written, and yet the remarkable consistency mm-hmm. and connection, you know, the 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 way that we see pr- predictive prophecies, another reason, but just the consistency of Scripture, as he said, the message remains the same through all of this. So, yeah. Excellent. All right, Brian. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Till next time. Till next time in the good. bistro. All right. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, Brian and I are talking all about the songs of ascent that are found in the Psalms. Songs of ascent found in the Psalms. That's a mouthful. We talk about how these Psalms may have been used by the nation of Israel as they were journeying to Jerusalem. We also talk a bit about how these songs uh, and Psalms can be used by us today. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com, as well as sign up for our email newsletter to stay in touch, but also to get our instructional video on how to use the free online resource, The Blue Letter Bible, by signing up for the newsletter. You can get all that. You can find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.